0: Mother's eh? its all the moms. They do a lot of amazing things for us, don't they? But you know why they're able to do that? Because that's the way God designed them. So we want to honor mothers today and we want to honor God. And this morning I want to do more than just honor mothers. I want us to just honor womanhood and women in general. Because not every woman is a mother, but we still need to lift them up and honor them because God's given them a special role in our lives. Now, I have to apologize for something last week. I failed to open the sermon with a dad joke. <laughs> so, so this week, you're going to have to have two, <laughs> okay? Now, um, let's just get right into that. I'm a little bit worried about the calendar. It's days are numbered. <laughs> My doctor told me I have the peekaboo virus. Yes, that's right. Went to the doctor, he said, you have the peekaboo virus. But it's okay, I went straight to the ICU. <laughs> peekaboo, ICU, know. <yeah. laughs> okay, so, so maybe those are we. How about some mom jokes? A friend asked me if she should have a baby after 40. I said, no, 40 babies is probably enough. (laughs) You know your mom when all you want for your birthday is for people to stop getting a new glass every time they need a drink. Now, my wife's going to amen that. Does anybody else, any moms have that problem at your house? Everybody, yes, everybody gets a new glass all the time. You know your mom when silence isn't golden, it's suspicious. We've all been there. You know you're a mom when you you have to choose between sneezing and waking the baby or holding it in and dislocating a rib. (laughs) (laughs) And one last one, why don't they have Mother's Day sales? Because mothers are priceless. (laughs) You know, appreciation for mothers is probably underexpressed in just about every family, but it's almost non-existent in our culture anymore. Women, there's so much confusion. Mothers, they're just like, why would anybody wanna go do that, You know, pursue you, do you? Why would you wanna stay at home, take care of kids? Anybody ever heard things like that? Motherhood is considered outdated. It's scorned and derided, interestingly enough, by women so often who feel they've been liberated by choosing to go to work instead of stay home, raise children. And granted, not every woman who is going to get married and spend 20-plus years raising children, but those that do should not be chided, derided, and looked down upon for that decision. There's room for both. There are people who will pursue a career, and God may call them to that. And they may do great things for His kingdom through that, but then there's women who will be mothers. And there's room for both of those. And so we want to look at and honor all of that. Womanhood and motherhood are, God, are both God's design. And I think our society in general has, <laughs> you'll probably definitely agree with this, it's forsaken God's ways. <laughs> Do you see that around you a little bit? We're just kind of forsaking the ways of God, his truth and his design. Now, there's a political commentator by the name of Matt Walsh, who made a documentary film called What is a Woman? Anybody seen that little jewel? Wow, isn't that an eye-opener? What is a woman? And so if I were going to title today's sermon thing, I think that's what it would be. What is a woman? It's a fair question, but sadly there are scores of people right now who cannot answer that question. Now there might be, for some strange reason, a few who literally don't know the answer to that, but the majority of them, they know the answer, but they can't say it. And the reason they can't say it is because they've adapted a worldview and a narrative that will be destroyed if they say who God made women to be. They've decided to build their lives around this idea, this narrative, uh, that there's confusion about that. When you reject God, you reject absolute objective truth and everything gets pretty blurry. You can't just define things. You can't just understand things clearly. So when you reject God, you're left with a subjective kind of man is supreme or egocentric worldview that just simply cannot stand. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. This is right after the Sermon on the Mount. He just finished this One of the greatest teachings of all time. And then in chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and burst against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act upon them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. You probably remember the little song. The wise man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. You remember that little children's song. Boy, there's a lot of truth to that because Jesus told us that. He taught us that. So we need to build our lives and our worldview on God's truth. We need to know what a woman is and be able to say it. We need to protect women in locker rooms and sports and bathrooms. We need to know that men can't get pregnant and men can't become women and women can't become men. And yes, I just said it out loud in front of all of you. It's a simple fact And if you build your life on some other idea, it will not work. And you will never have the peace and the fulfillment that only comes from God and his truth. To understand what God says about womanhood and motherhood, and to answer the question, what is a woman? We need to start at the beginning. And before we do that, let's stop and pray. Father in heaven. God, we want to lift up and encourage and honor women and motherhood this morning, but God, ultimately we lift up and we honor and we be encouraged by and encourage you. You are the ultimate, the supreme. Anything we understand about life, about men, about women, it has to come from you. We, we can't just make it up on the spot or change it from day to day. So Lord God, help us to, to just to look into your word to accept it as the truth, the source of life, and may we build our lives and our worldview upon that so we can stand firm. So Lord, as we open your word this morning, will you just speak and just allow us to have a very clear understanding of what your heart has to say to us, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. So the book of Genesis, we am going to start at the beginning. We need to start at the beginning, right? Genesis. It's essential to understanding the Christian faith and to developing a Christian worldview. It's the essential foundation in building your life upon the rock. Through Genesis, we come to understand the origin of all things, the universe, life, marriage, sin, evil, redemption, all of it. If we don't start there, then we can't make sense out of pretty much everything else in the Bible because we haven't developed a a truly godly worldview. So, Genesis 1-1, I think we all know that one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. They didn't just there wasn't some big cosmic accident that everything just appeared out of who knows what. And just boom, and there was there was everything you see around you. that sounds completely ridiculous to me, but that's taught to our children in school every single day. That there's, there is no God. There's no need for, for him. We're going to explain him away. We're going to give you a different idea about how you came to be. And so they're building their lies on the sand. And look at the destruction. Look at what that's done. As we've pushed God aside or, or said he doesn't exist. And you know what always has blown my mind about that? For someone to say there is no God, do they, they haven't stopped to think that to say that as a definitive statement, you have to be God. <laughs> How can you say there is no God unless you are the ultimate supreme truth of everything? You can't do it. I don't know if you ever thought about it that way, but that's the way I see it. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, and then we're going to jump down to 18 through 24. I'm sorry, before we get there, uh, Genesis 1, verses 26 through, through 28. 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth." So here we have the Godhead, the Trinity, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man in our image. But then he says, let them rule over. So obviously we're talking about mankind or man and woman or uh, all peoples. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle of the earth, every creeping thing creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's it. That settles it. You don't need to wonder. You don't need to ask. You don't need to investigate. That's your answer. God made man and God made woman. He, he did that. If we want to have a little bit deeper look into that, we'll jump over to chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, and then we'll skip down to 18 through 24. So just a little bit more detailed of account of, of God creating Then the Lord God, and let me set the stage for this. This is before the garden. This is outside of the garden. God creates man. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And Then the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Now, I don't know... how significant it is that man was created outside of the garden I mean I'm sure the earth that God created was pristine and and, you know there's harmony and everything this was before the fall of man before sin but there must be something significant that God created man outside the garden he creates woman inside the garden he creates her in this incredible environment of, of where they're walking with God and their safety and Man's outside of that, and woman's inside of that. Maybe there's significance to that. Maybe, maybe I'm looking too deep. I don't know. But I just think that's a that's a beautiful point. I don't think it's stated accidentally either. That he says God created man from the dust of the ground, and he wasn't a living being until God breathed the breath of life into him. Right? God's spirit, and he became a man. Then became a spiritual being and had life in him. And then right after that. It says, God planted a garden toward the east, and there he placed the man. Now, we're going to jump down to verse uh, 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, if you read through Genesis and the creation account, you'll notice that everything that God created, he said it's good. You know, God creates the sea life, and it, and it was good, and there was morning and evening of the fourth day or whatever day. He does that for each thing that he creates. Then he creates man. The Lord God said it is not good. Now, it wasn't not good that he created man. It was not good that he created man and man was alone. It is not good for the man to be alone. This is the first time God said something wasn't good. That's huge. That's significant. And so we'll see what God does. Starting in verse 19, out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So God creates marriage as well. Right there. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to investigate. You don't have to go ask somebody, well, what about this? Can it look like this? Or can it look like that? Or, no, it's right there. God brought them together and they became one flesh. So God creates all of the you know, it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates all of these other creatures and, and it's not like God thought, well, let me try this. No, that didn't work. Let me God knew, of course, what he was going to do. He's going to create woman, but it's just interesting that it tells us he created all of these other creatures, and none of them were suitable for the man. So he creates the woman. So think about this Adam had the moon, the stars, the earth, the plant life, the sea life, the land animals. He walked in the garden with God, and sin had not yet entered the world. But God still says, this isn't good. Something's missing. So he made woman. Now, as a female, if that doesn't make you feel pretty special, then I don't know what else God could do to make you feel pretty special. That this man is walking with God literally. He's got the entire pristine earth and universe that God just created and God says something's missing and it was woman now you're not going to hear that on the 6 o'clock news you will not be elevated as as a woman but I'm telling you God elevates you he has a significant and special role for women and if you've been married to one you know how hard a woman works and the effort that they put in to, to raising children and, and everything that they do. So woman is the pinnacle of creation. The artist saves his true masterpiece for last. The zenith of creation. But look back here at uh, verse 18. Well, maybe I already kind of covered that. Just that, God, that God said it's not good. This was the first time that he said something wasn't good because man was alone and there wasn't a helper, there wasn't a, a mate that was suitable for him. The word for alone here, this is, I found this kind of humorous. I, first time I ever really looked at this, so I looked up the, the original language. The word for alone is the word bad, <laughs> B-A-D. It's a Hebrew word, but it's, it doesn't mean bad like we think of bad, but I just found it humorous that it's not good for a man to be bad. <laughs> It's not good for man to be alone. But um, anyway, the word is, is bad. And it just means separated. It's the idea of not complete. Missing something. So it's not good for man to be bad. And what may, <laughs> Twisting English into Hebrew. What makes it bad is the fact that he's, he's separated. He's incomplete. There's something missing. The Hebrew word for helper that we see where he says God will make a helper suitable for him is the word azear, azear, the Hebrew word for helper. It means to surround, to protect, to aid, to help. So God needs to make a helper, one who will surround, protect, be there um, to aid. And And then a suitable helper, it says he made a helper suitable for him. That word is the word neged. It means counterpart or mate one who is in front of or before in the presence of so a helpmeet helper suitable a helpmeet sometimes you see it translated that way is one who surrounds or goes in front of to help or to aid so some people look at this and they say oh so so god just made woman just to serve man right? i don't think that's what it says but see that's what our society will say Because everything that God does, the devil wants to twist that and pervert that into a non-truth. And people buy into it, and then they think, well, God's not good. Isn't that what the devil has always done from the very beginning with the fall of man? If you go and you read that account, what did he do? He convinced Eve that God is not good. He doesn't have your best interest in mind. So any sin in our life, We were convinced that God isn't enough. He's not good. We need something else. That's that's, that simple. So if you're struggling with something, think about it that way. I'm basically saying, God, you're not enough. I I need this thing in my life for happiness, to be complete, whatever. So this is not a weakness. This is not that woman was was not made to help me because she was somehow weak. It's really more because the man was weak in a sense. He, He... He needed help. (laughs) And so God, uh, in verse 24, creates marriage. The man is told to cleave to his wife. The word is dabak, dabak, or dabak. It means cling to, stick to, follow close, or be joined to. And I I thought of this illustration, because I used this a long time ago at at a campus ministry meeting, but... If you have two pieces of duct tape, and you stick them together, if you press those together, and I'm talking like not the cheap dollar store stuff, but like some good stuff, duct tape, Gorilla brand or something, you stick those together, you press them together, and then you try to pull them apart, you cannot do it. It will rip the tape before you will separate those two pieces of tape. So the illustration is that, you know, here's man and woman, and cleave together in marriage, and, and they cannot be separated. You're ripping stuff apart if you try to separate that. But then if you take one, one of these pieces of tape over here and then you take another one and you go around the room and you just touch somebody on the shoulder, you touch their pant leg, you just go around you just kind of touch different people. Because if you, if you choose to do that with your life, instead of waiting for your helpmate, if you interact in, in certain ways, you get the drift with people premarital, Then whenever you bring those two pieces of tape together, they will not stick. See, you've been touched so many times by so many people, it's hard to bond. It's hard to, to stick. So God's idea of marriage is, is you wait for this special person and you cleave together and you, and you just can't be separated. Cling to, stick to, follow close, be joined to. That's the idea. The Bible instructs this cleaving to be done only between a man and a woman. And I, and I you know, if, if some of my words offend this morning, you can blame God, not me, because I'm, I'm demonstrating to you these come from the scripture. There is no such thing as marriage between two men or two women. That does not exist. I know our society says by law and whatever in places that it does exist. There is no such thing as that. It can't be. And so I I would say it's difficult as a believer to stand on God's truth and not offend some people. We have to lovingly just say "This this is just God's truth and I cannot compromise on this. This is God's design. We don't have the right to change that. So there is no such thing. So that's why in my language, anytime someone says that, like a woman is married to another woman, I don't accept that. I don't refer to them as being married. I so say they may have a friend, you know, they may, they may be living together or whatever, but they're not married. I don't care what ceremony you went through or anything, that does not have God's stamp of approval on it. And that's just the way it is. And I'm thankful that's the way it is, because that brings order to society. If you feel like our society is full of chaos right now, this is the reason why people are rejecting God's truth. So we cannot say that two men or two women can be married. It's, it's just not, it's not a thing. It's not, not possible. It's always and only between one man and one woman. So we need to be loving and, and kind but firm As believers, we cannot declare something to be true and holy that God has not declared to be true and holy. We have a responsibility to stand up to defend God's design of man, woman, and marriage. And we just cannot blur those lines. Womanhood is under assault right now in our culture. Is everybody aware of this? I mean, not to be offensive, but you might be living under a rock if you don't understand the extent to how womanhood is under attack in our culture. There are places where women do not feel safe. They don't feel protected in restrooms, locker rooms. They're being robbed of opportunities for scholarships in, in sport, for, for, hold, for you know, being record holders in sports, taken away completely. They're basically told, you're not significant, you don't matter we're going to allow a man who feigns to be a woman to undermine everything that you've worked so hard for. That's not loving and that's not kind, folks. And we have to stand firm on these matters. Lovingly, we just need to be able to state it, that we honor the church, the people of God, we honor women, we lift women up. And we don't want them robbed of what God is doing in their lives so we need to celebrate women and and womanhood people are being forced to use language that's not true not true to what god has made and what god has declared i mean you know i know that there, there are the devil is wreaking havoc in lives he always has but it just seems like there's just an uptick with the the mental illnesses and the things that you know, the levels of anxiety and depression and just confusion about so many things. And so if you have a, a, a man who feels like he's supposed to be a woman and is acting out that way and says, I'm a she, again, you know, I, I don't be cruel or disrespectful in any way, but I cannot call you that. I can't say, when I know this is a man, I can't say she. I, I, <laughs> I can't do that because it's not true. At its core, it's not true. And we are people of truth. We're loving and we're kind and we're we're compassionate. We want to help people. But we can't play along. Is everybody okay? (laughs) I mean, I told you this would be. You might never ask me up here again. I don't know. But um, I can't go any other direction other than what the Bible says. You don't want my truth, <laughs> it'd be a disaster. That's what we have now, is everybody has their own truth. Well, you can't have eight billion different versions of the truth in harmony. That's why God says build your life on, on the rock. Imagine if everybody did that. What would the world be like? Man. And we'll we'll know someday when we're on the new heaven and the new earth, you will know what that's going to be like. Man, where were we? So what is a woman? A woman is an adult biological female. That's the simplest way to say it. And the Bible tells us that, and we're not going to look at all these scriptures because there's quite a few, um, she should fear the Lord, Proverbs 31, 30 tells us. She should be a hard worker, Proverbs 31, 16, and 17. A woman is someone who takes care of her family. She's generous to those in need, Proverbs 31, 20, and 21. We are going to look at this one. At this one, she needs men and men need her. Now, I knew if I said that, somebody would get triggered, so we're just going to read what the Bible says. Um, and men need, women need men. No, they don't. <laughs> we need each other. Let's look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. However, in the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman. And all things originate from God. That's it. It's settled. How are you going to argue with that, you know? Isn't that clever, too? Well, woman originates from man. Yeah, but man is born out of woman. God fixed it, didn't he? He settled it right there. Isn't it amazing what truth does? It frees you. You don't have to have the argument. You don't have to put down and, you know, well, you're not this or you're not that or this. Well, you know, all that stuff goes away, and we have peace. <laughs> it's amazing. So, what else is a woman? She has a lasting inner beauty. First, piece, she's satisfied with the Lord's promises and has faith that He will fulfill them. This is another one we'll look at. Um, Luke chapter one and verse forty-five. This is uh, after or when Mary visits Elizabeth and they're pregnant. Uh, verse 45, Blessed is she who believed, that there, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Elizabeth tells Mary, Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And that's just a simple truth. Now I know this context of this is Mary and Elizabeth, but that fact remains true for all women. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. What is a woman? She's one who is satisfied with the Lord's promises and has faith he will fulfill them. If it's good enough for Mary, it's good enough for all women. Godly women are so essential in the kingdom of God. Our creator knew men needed this special touch and and the wisdom and perspective that only women can bring. And not only would men need that, but so would the people of God. So women in the kingdom and in the church play such a significant role. I mean, think about it, guys. What if it was just all a bunch of guys here every, every Sunday? You don't even, we don't even want to go there. What a disaster that would be. I mean, I, I, I'm serious. That would be a total disaster after a few weeks. You wouldn't even want to come in this building probably. I'm just saying. And, I'm, and I mean it when I say that. I think you all get the picture. Okay, so now we're gonna, I'm going to read a long section of Scripture. So just sit back and listen. We're going to have story time. We may go late, I don't know, like I said, this may be my last time to ever be up here, I don't know. But uh, this is too important, and it's such a great story. We're going to take the time, so if you're late to the buffet, I don't know, afterwards, but Second Kings. <laughs> that didn't come out right. Second Kings chapter 22, we're going to get right into the word here. Second Kings 22, starting in 22, we're going to read all of 22 and the first 24 verses of 23. So bear with me. You can read along if you want or just listen. It's story time. This is going to be fun. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of... And he did write in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David nor did he turn aside to the right or to the left. And so Josiah's come to the throne at a very young age, eight old, um, and then we're, we're going to see when he's 16, God just gets a hold of him. It just does this amazing thing. But the context is that Judah, the, you know, the southern part of the kingdom, was just so lost at this point. Um, and you're going to see the temple they're, gonna, they're reconstructing the temple not because anybody came in and destroyed it this time but because it was nobody went there it was just, just in disarray and disrepair and so you're going to see what happens here but that's the context is that Judah was so far from God and intermingling with all of these other gods of all these other peoples and, and idolatry was just at a peak so uh, Josiah did right in the sight of the Lord now it came about in the 18th year Of King Josiah, that the king sent Shaphon, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshulam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered from the people. And let them deliver it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the workmen who are in the house of the Lord to repair the damages of the house. To the carpenters, and the builders, and the masons, for, for buying timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Only no accounting shall be made with them for the money delivered into their hands, for they deal faithfully. So these are some very honorable people. He's basically saying they're in charge of, of this money to go and repair the temple. And we don't need receipts because they're trustworthy. They're not you know, misusing funds or anything. It would be like, Tom, I'm going to pick on you. It would be like giving Tom Salmon money to go do something for the church nobody needs to worry that it's going to get done <laughs> he's not going to pocket any of that money we know that he's a man of integrity these men were so no accounting is necessary then Hilkiah, the high priest said to shaphan the scribe i have found the book of the law so they're they're working through the temple and they're cleaning stuff and you know repairing and whatever and i don't know if they move something or what and they found this book of the law it's like oh look at here we lost it. it's the bible <laughs> we lost the bible for however many years now i don't know so they find this book of the law and hilkiah gave the book to shaphan who read it and Shaphon the scribe came to the king and brought back word to the king and said your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the lord moreover Shaphon the scribe told the king saying hilkiah the high priest the the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. So Shaphan, he gets the book, he goes, he reads it, and then he's like, oh, man, this is amazing. He goes, he reads it to the king. And it came about when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. This this is a sign, of course, of mourning. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) This doesn't fit with what we're reading. Kind of like our society now. When you read God's word, man, what's going on? Just is a disaster it just doesn't fit we need to repent we tear our clothes in mourning then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest Ahikam the son of Shaphan Achbor the son of Micaiah Shaphan the scribe and Asiah the king's servant saying go inquire of the lord for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found for great is the wrath of the lord that burns against us because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do, all, to do according to all that is written concerning us. So we've been neglecting what God's telling us to do, is what he's saying. So Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Esaiah, went to Holda the prophetess. This is important. Now you remember this, because this is, one of the, this is kind of the reason for this story. They went to Holda the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harhas, keeper of the wardrobe. Now she lived in Jerusalem in the second quarter. So she's like on the suburbs. And they spoke to her. And she said to them, now she's speaking a word from the Lord. She says to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, thus says the Lord, behold, I bring evil on this place and on its inhabitants, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and have burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath burns against this place, and it shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall you say to him Thus says the Lord, she keeps saying this Thus says the Lord, God of Israel, regarding the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord. When you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I truly have heard you, declares the Lord. So when Josiah was repentant, God was moved by it. God's always moved by repentance, by whenever we, we turn toward him, from whatever it is that's distracting us. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Neither shall your eyes see all the evil which I will bring on this place. So they brought back word to the king. So if God's going to judge this place for all this evil, he's saying, Josiah, you're going to be excluded. You've, you've turned your heart toward me. Then the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up to the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both great and small. and And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. So this book's being read again now to everybody. And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people entered into the covenant. Wow, now that's a leader. That's what a leader does. Can you imagine if the president of the United States don't care who he is or what party or whatever, it doesn't matter to me, can you imagine if the president of the United States said that? We're going to walk after the Lord. We're making a covenant with the Lord. We're going to walk after him. We're going to keep his commandments, his testimonies, his statutes. This is what we're going to do. And all the people agreed. That's how you transform a society right there. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priest of the second order and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord, all the vessels that were made for Baal. Okay, did you get that? These are vessels made for a false god and they're in the temple of the Lord. I wonder if that's what, where they went off the rails in this society. So they're cleaning it out. All the vessels that were made for, for Baal, for Asherah, for all the host of heaven, and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kedon and carried their ashes to Bethel. And he did away with the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the surrounding area of Jerusalem. Also those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the constellations, and to the host of heaven. They're worshiping everything but God. And he brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord. Now you can go read on your own about the Asherah and the sexual perversion. Or you can just watch the news maybe and see the same thing. But you can, you can... Do that on your own if you want. They have it in the house of the Lord. It'd be like us bringing total perversion into into here as a part of our worship. And that's happening, by the way, in places all across this land, in places that are claimed to be churches. It's happening. Boy, I totally lost my place. You know what verse we were on? Verse eight. All right. At least someone's paying attention. Then he brought all the priests from the city of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. And he broke down the high places of the gates which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on one's left at the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not go up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. He also defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through the fire of Moloch. So they were offering their babies a sacrifice to Moloch. They said, no more. It'd be like the president right now saying, we're not sacrificing any more babies in abortion, ever. We're trusting God, That's that's what that'd be like. Yeah, just saying. Okay, I'm lost again. He did away with the horses which the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan-Melech, the official, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. So all this stuff to the sun god, they're destroying it. And the altars which were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the, in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and he threw their dust into the book. And the high places which were before Jerusalem, which were on the right of the mountain of destruction, which Solomon, the, son, the king of Israel, had built for Ashtoreth, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of the sons of Imam, the king defiled. So all of these things built, the altars and whatever, to all of these false gods of all these other peoples, they destroyed. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with human bones. Furthermore, the altar that was at Bethel and the high place, which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, had made even the altar and the high place he broke down. Then he demolished its stones, ground them to dust, and burned the asherah. Now when Josiah turned, he saw the graves that were there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones from the graves and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these things. So likely, I mean, I don't know, but I'm, I'm guessing that this had been going on for so long, there's people that were a part of, of this, bringing this on God's people that are now dead in their graves, and they're digging them up, and they're burning their bones to destroy it. Then he said, what is this monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, it's the grave of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone, let no one disturb his bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. And Josiah also removed all the houses of the high places which were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made provoking the Lord And he did to them just as he had done in Bethel. And all the priests of the high places who were there, he slaughtered on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God. It's been a while since this has happened. As it is written in this book of the covenant, Surely such a Passover had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. It's been a very long time since God's people acted like God's people. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah removed the mediums and the spiritists and the teraphim and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might confirm the words of the Lord which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. What a story. Of all the prophets living in Jerusalem at the time, obviously they had no effect. This is during the time of Jeremiah and Zephaniah who were active at this time as well. But of all the prophets living there, it was Huldah, the prophetess, a woman of God who was consulted. They didn't go to somebody else. They went to her. Ladies, you have a significant role to play in the kingdom of God. Once Huldah gave a directive from God, it was trusted, and the king jumped into action, cleaning out the temple and the cities of Judah and Jerusalem. And we just read about all the purging that they did of all of this evil. And this all, I mean, yeah, we, you know, these stories... We, we know about Josiah, but I don't, I don't think Josiah would have done what he did if it wasn't for Huldah, the prophetess, the one who gave the message from God that he followed through on. The kingdom of God still benefits from godly women who can hear from the Lord and serve faithfully and call people to purity and repentance. We need to be grateful for godly women and godly mothers who are contributing so much to the work of the kingdom. We need to pray for them, encourage them, and thank God for them and walk alongside and work alongside our our mothers and our women. So I hope Ladies, you're lifted up, you're encouraged. God wants to do magnificent things in you and through you. so don't believe any of the lies that our world is telling you. I think now we're going to have a, what are we going to have a video?